You're listening to Metal Matters, the official weekly Gimme Metal podcast. This week, Randy Larson comes back to join us for a, the first Classic Records episode of the year. The year of our Lord, 2021. How's it going, Randy? <laughs> All right, man. Uh, happy New Year. Happy New Year to our uh, listeners out there. And to you, you know, things are going. Yeah. So this week, we're actually going to be covering a, a wildly popular record by Alice in Chains. We're going to be doing Dirt, which, looking back... I would have to say that was really the record that that put them on the map with people in a big way. Yeah, I would say so, man. You know, it's definitely uh, their biggest selling record, uh, the most hits, you know, even though they've had a lot of others. I mean, I think Dirt is kind of their seminal record. Absolutely. It's kind of like their uh, back in black, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, you know, I told a few friends that this is the record that we're doing. I, I got a lot of friends that are big Alice in Chains fans, too. And, like, everyone had a different opinion. Oh, you're not doing, you know, the self-titled? Or you're not doing A Jar of Flies? I'm like, no, we're doing dirt, you know? You're not going to do it. Do you want to hear Jar of Flies? You fucking do it. You do your own show and send it to us, <laughs> and we'll think about it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Are you not going to do that one that came out like two years ago? <laughs> like was for, that was free or whatever, you know? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, my point being, they had a lot of big records. I mean, I think all their records are big records, but this one I would say is their, uh, I would say this is their masterpiece as well. And I'm a fan of all their stuff. Uh, but... Now, let me ask you a question. Do you, were you a fan of theirs back then when it came out? Well, when Dirt came out, yes, I was a fan, although I wasn't, you know, I was pretty entrenched in the punk rock and hardcore kind of world around the time that Facelift, the first album, came out. And uh, some friends of mine and my cousin had it, and they would play it, and I'd be like, yeah, man, I'm not really digging Facelift. You know, when it came out, you know, Band in the Box and shit, I wasn't into it. But not long after that, uh, I went on a date and I uh, see the movie Singles, and there was a song in that movie called Wood, which ended up being the last track on Dirt, and that song won me over. I, I love that song, and I'm like, wow, it's the same band, because it sounded like a very different band to me than what I heard on Facelift. So by the time this was released, yes, I was a fan, but I was not a huge fan of Facelift when it came out, although now I love that record as well. Yeah, similar to you, I was definitely more into the kind of uh, underground stuff. And I, I actually really liked Facelift when I heard it because, uh, you know, it was on uh, MTV Headbangers Ball and they had Man in the Box. And right around the time that record came out, I was, uh, you know, really, you know, getting into like Soundgarden and that kind of stuff. I liked I liked some of the Seattle bands, um, not really that I wasn't really what you would call a fan of like the, the Northwest bands, except right. for a few. Like obviously right. we love we love Skinyard, you know. We Hell love yeah. Mudhoney and you know Soundgarden and you know Green River bands like that. But um, 
this was cool. I enjoyed facelift. I thought it was good, but it wasn't my like, I didn't love it. You know what I mean? And I just kind of moved on. And it wasn't until much later uh, that I really appreciated what was on Dirt. And I think the, the song Wood is by far my favorite song that the band's done. It's such a haunting, you know, song. That's great. Yeah, it's great. A lot, of, a lot of emotion, a lot of like, like real feeling in that song. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, yeah, like you'd be hearing that in the single soundtrack. Uh, it really, it really changed my mind, you know. And then, I mean, shortly after that, uh, Dirt came out, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, uh, I bought it. Uh, I don't know if it was the day it came out, but it was the, definitely the week it came out. Um, I was coming back from band practice. I used to play in this band called The Rise, like a Boston hardcore band. And uh, we used to practice up in Franklin, Mass. And I would always stop after practice in this plaza that had a, uh, a Taco Bell. So you know, I'd grab some food there because um, their food's so wonderful, you know. <laughs> and I'd always stop in the Strawberries. You remember Strawberries, records, and tapes? I'm yeah. sure you had those. Yep, definitely. Yeah. Well, not, not, um, not down in the Tri-State area, but it was up in uh, when I lived my years in Boston. I remember Strawberries. Yeah, so I uh, I went in there and uh, I bought Alice in Chains' Dirt along with uh, a couple old hip hop records, um, Showbiz and AG, Runaway Slave, <laughs> and uh, Diamond D and the Psychotic Neurotic, Stunts, Blunts, and Hip Hop. That was my haul that day, along with Dirt. Um, it was pretty funny looking back on it. I still like all that stuff though. You know, I'm a big fan of like that old school hip hop yeah. stuff. Um, that was kind of the tail end of me being real into that stuff. But yeah, man, I, I picked up that album on cassette and uh, I listened to it on the way home, you know, and I, I, it, it had me, man. It just it dug its hooks in then and I was like, this is one of the greatest albums ever. And like, I still feel that way today. Uh, Dirt and Bad Motorfinger by Soundgarden. I was a little late coming to Soundgarden. You were probably into Soundgarden before Bad Motorfinger came out. I was not. Um, I wasn't a big Pearl Jam fan or Nirvana fan. So I was a little late to the Seattle stuff, I guess. Um, but Dirt and Bad Motor Finger, man, those are like the two seminal Seattle records, in my opinion, you know, that really got me into that stuff for sure. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you on the um, Pearl Jam and Nirvana. Unpopularly, I'm not a fan of either of those bands, you know, though. I kind yeah. of uh, I acknowledge Nirvana and Kurt Cobain as being important, and I I wonder I I question Pearl Jam's importance. I I think they're an incredibly overrated band, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I mean I don't dislike either of those bands, but I'm also not a fan of either band. And I think Pearl Jam, some of the early stuff is, is interesting and cool, although I mean I, I don't pay attention to them anymore. Nirvana, I always felt was a bit overrated, although I respect Kurt Cobain as a songwriter and all that stuff. I'm not a Dave Grohl fan um, <laughs> yeah. at all. <laughs> I found that guy pretty intolerable. But uh, yeah, man, uh, I think where Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, some of the other bands that we dig, did go, they were hugely influ influential bands and went on to uh, you know, probably have some pretty bad stuff. I think Pearl Jam is like the king of like influencing shitty bands to form. <laughs> I'll, I'll, <laughs> you know? agree, I'll agree with you on that. 
Um, yeah. yeah, so let's let's run down just some of the particulars, just some of the uh, factual information, and then we'll uh, you know get into our impressions of the record and the band at that period of time. So, sure. Uh, Dirt was released on September 29th, 1992, on Columbia Records, a major label. And just in case anyone yep. out there uh, is not familiar with Columbia Records. <laughs> Uh, recorded at El Dorado Recording Studio in Burbank, California, London Bridge Studio in Seattle, Washington, and one-on-one -on -one recording studio in Los Angeles. Program length is 57 minutes, 37 seconds. And uh, the producer was Dave Jordan. Now, Dave Jordan, um, he, he was kind of their guy. You know what I mean? He, he did facelift and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, a lot of their records were done with him and prior right. to working with uh, Alice in Chains in the early 80s uh, he worked with the Talking Heads and Frank Zappa uh, he did a bunch of uh, Chili Peppers records the Stones Mick Jagger yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, what, what I what the one record though that I think uh, kind of might might have primed him for working with Alice in Chains was in uh, the in '88 he did Nothing Shocking by Jane's Addiction. Yes. And he also worked on you know their material like you know Ritual De Lo Habitual and uh, he did uh, Social D's Return you know the social the self titled Social Distortion record. Yep. And he was kind of like looking at his uh, discography he was like that kind of uh, you know Gen X. 90s band producer you know he did mother's milk by the chili peppers he did fishbone like these are all like you know 90s 120 minutes uh you know kind of gen x bands you know what i mean yeah those are pretty seminal records pretty yeah. seminal 90s records yeah and in uh, 1990 he did facelift and uh that was uh obviously alice Chain's debut record and uh, like I said before, I got, I heard Man in the Box. I thought the song was cool. I bought the record. Um, I, I dig that record. It just uh, wasn't enough to sustain my interest in the band beyond it. And, uh, right. you know, but then, um, yeah, I kind of fell off on, on Alice in Chains for a bunch of years. I was aware of them. I It wasn't like I disliked them ever, but I just, uh, you know, I was into other things, as you probably can guess. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. And uh, this is their second album, you know, their debut being Facelift. Uh, the Personnel, actually, this is the final record to feature the original lineup of the band. So, uh, you know, we got Jerry Cantrell on guitar and vocals, and by all intents and purposes, uh, Alice in Chains is, is pretty, I would say it's his band, really. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We have uh, the great Lane Staley on lead vocals and occasional rhythm guitar. Sean Kinney on drums and backing vocals and the late Mike Starr bass and backing vocals. And um, that's, that was, this is the last, the last go around for these guys as a band, you know, this, this lineup. Yeah. As, as much as I love this record, it was only uh a short time ago, a few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jeff Gashid, and uh, he informed me that uh, I thought forever Mike Inez played on this record. Oh, no. <laughs> Did no. not even realize Mike Starr 
I thought he was out of the band before the record. And Jeff was like, nope. I'm like, are you sure? So, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know how that one slipped by me, but it did. Yeah, they, they dismissed uh, Mike Starr on the, the, the tour cycles for, uh, for this record. And, um, you know, on, on the touring, they, they toured with Ozzy, and Mike Inez was in Ozzy's band. And eventually he ended up uh, replacing Mike Starr. And, uh, right. You know, sad story about uh, Mike Starr. You know, he's, I mean, like a lot of the members in this band, he struggled with j- drug addiction and uh, he had uh, ultimately um, succumbed. And uh, it's funny, it's, no, it's not funny, but it's interesting to note that if you're going to get thrown out of a band filled with dudes who abu- ab- abuse drugs for abusing drugs, <laughs> it's got to be pretty bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, yeah. I'm not trying right. to make light of his his problems, but uh, the, I felt the same way about Steven Adler and Guns N' Roses, you know. Well, it also reminds me of a story I've heard uh, a few times about uh, when, uh, you know, the late, great Lemmy, previous to Motorhead, was in a band called Hawkwind. Yeah. And uh, the story, as the story goes, he got uh, kicked out of Hawkwind for doing the wrong drugs. Yeah, those guys were all into like psychedelics and you know and acid and stuff like that. And he was like just straight speed guy. Speed, speed, man. Yeah, yeah. speed. So, uh, yeah, drugs and rock and roll, man. They always, you know, always seem to find a way together. And you know, obviously, the lyrical content on this record, I mean, most people I think can figure it out. Uh, very heavily uh, <laughs> about drug abuse, you know. Um, yeah, just drug abuse. Uh, darkness, you know, personal relationships falling apart. You know, it's all on this record. And uh, that's why I think this comes off as like probably their heaviest album, like emotionally. And just right. the, whole, the whole record has this like self-loathing like vibe to it, you know? Yeah, it's very, even like the melodic stuff is heavy in a different way. I, you know, like you're saying, like the emotional side of it or whatever, you, you can just like, you can just like fucking feel it in the music, you know? Um, all those guys are fighting different battles, you know, a lot of them with drugs, personal stuff. And, you know, I, there's a quote from, from Lane, from, uh, I believe it was an interview in a Rip magazine, uh, you know, where he says like this, like more later in the album from like Junkhead to Angry Chair is like kind of like a concept within a concept album of just about like, <laughs> you know, the ups and downs of, of drug abuse and inevitably think it's pulling you out of hell that gets you closer to hell. Um, so, you know, obviously that guy was had major problems with drugs. I could dig that. Yeah, unfortunately. Another aside about Mike Starr, um, he he also uh, on the January ninety. Uh, well, I'm sorry, I'm gonna go back up on that here. Let's draw, put a marker down. Also, a quick aside about um, Mike Starr, uh, he also appeared on uh, the VH1 Celebrity Rehab in uh, the 2010 season. Uh, he was coming off of a methadone addiction and um that that show had uh tom sizemore another guy who uh was known to have problems with drugs and uh so he was you know he was featured on that and then ultimately uh mike passed 
on March 8th, 2011, due to a prescription drug overdose. So uh, it's a real sad story, man. I mean, have you actually seen that that season? You ever, you ever watched that Celebrity Rehab? No, I mean, I never really watched it. Uh, my wife would watch it occasionally. And uh, I see, I know you mentioned Stephen Adler earlier. I believe he was on the season of that. Like, that, you know, honestly, man, that, that fucking show really kind of like pissed me off when I first kind of caught the gist of it. Yeah. First of all, I think that Drew Pinsky guy is a fucking jerk off. Um, and I think he just exploits people. You know, that's how I saw that show. It's like you're just exploiting these fucking people who are, it's pretty fucking sad. You know, yeah, I, 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 I kind of didn't like that show because of that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is the that was the only season I saw. Actually, it was um, only a few years ago. Like I, I saw that episode right around the time. I mean, and when I say that I got into Alice and in Chains like late in the game, I mean, I got into them late in the game. Like I'm talking about I started really listening to them like five years ago. Honestly, you know what I mean? That's all right. I do the same thing with bands, yeah. man. You know, like I, it's too I, many bands. I, I dug into them for real, you know, like and really started appreciating them because, like, I think around the time that they were really, uh, you know, rocking and rolling during this phase, just it wasn't something I, that clicked with me really. But yeah, when when I um when I started digging into the band's catalog, I watched that season just because I knew Mike Starr was on it, and it was uh, really fucking hard to watch, man, and really sad. And, um, you know, then like after, after that, I found out that he, he passed away and it was, you know, right. kind of a, real, a year after that show, actually a year after that season. Yeah. There was no shortage of like heaviness, uh, surrounding the band, you know, with like the deaths and the drug problems. And, you know, I mean, that could be said for a lot of bands, I guess, but yeah, I think you could really, really hear, hear it in Alice in Chains music. And, uh, you know, I feel like I say this all the time when we cover records, man, like maybe half the records we cover this record, uh, helped me through some dark times, man. Dirt definitely helped me through some dark times, which makes you think like, man, I had a lot of dark times in my life, you know? <laughs> I mentioned this shit a lot, you know, but it did, man. This this was a very important record, helping me through some fucking dark times in the, in the early '90s. You know, the '90s were not fucking kind to me. You know, a lot of my own doing, probably. But um, yeah, this was just a very personal record for me, and I listened to it a fucking ton. And uh, pro, you know, the subject matter in this record, I wasn't a fucking drug addict by any means, but you could also interpret these songs in different ways too. You know what I mean? Um, kind of apply them to apply them to what's going on in your life. So, yeah, I just feel I feel like I say that all the time, but it's true. This was another one of those records that that definitely uh, I, was a go to for me through some through some pretty rough times. Let, let's uh, run down the tracks because, uh, and I'll note which songs were singles, and all these songs that I'm noting as singles all had videos too. So this is like a pretty well, yeah. well, like thought out, and I guess even the record label probably had high hopes for this one, which actually paid off because this was Alice in Chains' um, top-selling record, actually. Yep. Uh, all right, so kicks off with uh, them bones. There's a single for that. Damn the river, rain when I die, down in the hole. Single for that one, which is a great, great, you know, title and the song's awesome. Yeah, amazing. Sick Man, The Rooster, which there's a single for that and, a, you know, a video. And that song, too, is a, is a particularly powerful song on this record. 
Absolutely. It's about uh, Jerry Cantrell's father. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Junkhead, Dirt, Godsmack, uh, which probably inspired the, um, <laughs> the, the Western Mass uh, tour de force of uh, cheese metal, uh, 90s. <laughs> 90s like suburban core you know <laughs> yeah can i interject there for one second yeah go ahead, man. Go, the guys because i you know i do have the, the godsmack connection written down in my notes i like to you know i love this record i love every track on this record although i will say the song godsmack is my least favorite track on the record so it figures that one of the shittiest bands of all time would choose to take that as the name for their band so just want to throw that out there even even though that band Godsmack's pretty terrible, and uh, you know, apologies to anyone out there who likes them, but you, you know, you gotta just like uh, you gotta come to grips that they're whack, you know. But yeah, I, that's nice you would apologize uh, if you don't. If you like Godsmack, then I don't know why you listen to us, you know. But hey, whatever. Well, the other day I had to, you know, every, every, there's different people out there, man. You know, and I, <laughs> the other day, like I was at the at the, you know the MMA gym and there was this uh you know lady there who was talking about how awesome Nickelback was so mm. uh, who am I to like say that band sucks you know it's just like is she a listener of ours probably no definitely not man no <laughs> yeah. um all right oh actually real quick about Godsmack um the singer Sully whatever the hell his name is that guy yeah. was in a band called Seika which was had a record on Tang Records that um and they were like a, a legit, like old school Boston thrash band. And Seika was the real deal, man. And that dude was in that band. So he can't, I, he can't, I remember them. Yeah, he can't be all them. bad. And, uh, you know, Seika, along with War, Wargasm, there was like a cool little scene of like thrash in the 80s in Boston. And right. That, that dude was part of it. All right, moving on, we got uh, this dream sequence, Iron Gland kind of interstitial like piece, which features Tom Araya on vocals. Yes, it does. Uh, Hate to Feel, Angry Chair, another single, and the most epic song on the record, Wood. And, of course, there's a single for that and a video. And uh, according to some of the intel I gathered, that song was a tribute to uh, Andrew Wood. Uh, the late singer of Mother Lovebone, who also succumbed to his struggles with uh, heroin addiction. And, uh, yes. Uh, it turns out that, uh, you know, obviously Wood was in the uh, single soundtrack. And, um, you know, that was probably, uh, I imagine that's a song they had designs on just because of it being so ki so killer, you know. There's a cool uh, interview series on YouTube called Icons. Uh, I think it's produced by Gibson Guitars. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those. Um, but there's a, they're usually like an hour, sometimes it's a little over an hour long, and there's a cool one with Jerry Cantrell um, where he talks, you know, a lot about Dirt on there. He talks about his whole life and his whole career, but he talks a lot about Dirt. And, uh, you know, they got asked to be, uh, before this came out, they got asked uh, by Cameron Crowe, the guy who made singles, for a song for the soundtrack. So, you know, that was a huge budget movie. So they gave him all this money to go in and demo the song. And they ended up demoing and recording a shitload of songs. And, uh, you know, they gave him wood for the soundtrack. But then all those other songs that they recorded for these demos, uh, 
on the movie company's dime ended up being the SAP EP. That's awesome, man, because I like that EP a lot. Yeah, and another interesting thing about SAP, just real quick, I know we're not talking about SAP, but uh, they released that. <laughs> and it's something bands kind of do now. I know Radiohead did it, and Sleep also did it. They just, but this was a long fucking time ago, man. This was 1992. They just put this out with no announcement or anything. It just showed up at record stores, the SAP EP. And it just like, people walked in the record store and be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> they like didn't advertise it at first or anything, which I thought was really fucking cool. Kind of forward thinking for back in those days, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, I remember, um, I think I mentioned this in a, probably in the skin yard episode, but I used to live in Washington state in the early nineties. And, uh, I remember when I first, um, showed up, you know, in the town of Bellingham, Washington, and uh, I remember driving around trying to figure out like what kind of like place I can live in, like what kind of place I could, that would rent an apartment to me, you know, <laughs> I was, I, was uh, I can imagine that being limited, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I remember driving around Bellingham and I was listening to like a college radio station because there's a, uh, there's actually a couple of, uh, you know, small colleges in town and uh, hearing the, the the first track off of sap on the college radio station and uh it was pretty cool man because like you know it's day it was like raining out and like you can see like the puget sound and there's all these like you know like fucking pine trees and shit and it's it really had like a an impact on me and i always remember that period when i listened to that record sap and um yeah it just, right. it just had like this dreary like vibe to it you know yeah, it's a very very cool record, man. I, you know, I love the fact they just kind of threw it out there. And, you know, that track listing, man, is pretty impressive. I mean, even people who aren't big fans of the band are going to know those songs that were singles off that. I mean, you know, you just, <laughs> those are part of everyone's DNA. It listens to rock music pretty much. But uh, one, one comment on the track listing, man, to me, like that one-two punch of them bones right in the damn the river is just probably one of the best one-two punches ever. <laughs> I mean, it's just, when I seen them, I didn't get to see them live until, you know, the new incarnation of the band. I never got to see them with Wayne. But when I did see them, they opened the show just like dirt starts, you know? They oh. went right from them, them bones that damn the river, man. And it just fucking sent chills up my spine, dude. It was it was awesome. I always love that one-two punch of those songs together. I, I, have, I have something really unfortunate to say about Alice in Chains Live is that I actually saw them when I wasn't really a fan. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I bet you I can guess when it was because all my friends that are fans now see them when they weren't fans too. It was, they, they, uh, they were part of uh, Lollapalooza. Like back yep. in, uh, oh, okay. That's actually, no, that's not what I was going to say, but go ahead. Well, what were you going to say? Oh, they, uh, what was the name of the tour? The Clash oh, of the Titans? Yeah, yep. They were like this. All right, yeah, go ahead. Tell tell us about that first. All right, I believe the tour was Slayer, Megadeth, Anthrax, something like that. Yeah. And, or, or uh, shit, I don't know. I know Slayer. I think Slayer was, or maybe Metallica was the headline. No, God, no, no that's, that's Monsters of Rock that you're thinking about. Actually, wait. I'm all fucked up. That that monster, yeah, me too. Now, yeah, Metallica wasn't. They were on Monsters of Rock, but Van Halen was the headliner on that. Uh, yeah, so I think Slayer was the headliner, 
and I think it was Anthrax. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, it was <laughs> Slayer, Megadeth, Anthrax, and uh, Testament was supposed to be the opener. And for some reason, well, they couldn't do it. So at the last minute, they got Alice in Chains as the opener. And that was when Facelift was out, I believe. And obviously, everyone fucking hated them. <laughs> you know what I mean? They would get shit thrown at them yeah. every night. And there's like cool testimonies online from Tom Araya and you know, these guys and, and, uh, and Slayer and shit. And they were, they had nothing but respect for Alice in Chains because they would go out there every night and get shit thrown at them. And they would just keep playing and keep playing. And they probably wouldn't win anyone over in the crowd, but they would win over the other bands that they were on tour with. Um, you know, that's probably how the Tom Araya connection came up with him being on, you know, briefly on this record. So sure. it's interesting because some of my friends were at that show that are huge Alice and James fans now, and they didn't even know who the fuck they were then. Yeah, I, I heard that same story, and it gave made me respect them, like, hardcore, man. Because, I, I mean, anyone out there who's played in a band that's, like, you know, done a lot of touring, it's like, you know, sometimes... You get that email or the call from whoever handles your booking, and they're like, "Oh yeah, it's this band dropped off this bill, and like they have an opening. Can you can you do this tour?" And sometimes it, it makes absolutely no sense, but like you know, you're you know you're a young you know guy, and you want to get out there and make an impact, and you just take you do it because you know that it's important for your band to get in front of people. And I just think that that just proved to me that they were like legit like in it to win it type of guys and i i thought that was cool that was like some real character and like real work ethic and i thought that was uh when i heard that story yeah you know like five years ago when i heard that story i was like wow these guys are like you know legit guys yeah yeah go ahead sorry yeah i mean we we both know what it's like to play in front of an audience doesn't want to see you you know yeah <laughs> maybe, um, maybe not to that, that many people, but we both been in those situations. But it's not, you know, it's, those guys go out there every night. I mean, you know, the word on the street is Slayer is never an easy band to open for anyway, no matter who the fuck you are. Uh, so to be some virtually unknown, like borderline glam hard rock band trying to open for Slayer in that kind of setting, I mean, you're just asking for it, you know? Yeah. Um, the uh, where I saw them though was in '93 at. Uh, that the Lollapalooza that was happening that year, and um, I think that was the, maybe the third Lollapalooza, possibly. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah I think it was, it was uh, like Primus and uh, Rage Against the Machine, and you know, Babes in Toyland, and, and um, Alice in Chains. I saw them in Massachusetts, and they weren't even on the main stage. They were like on like a, on like one of the smaller stages, at least when I saw them in Mass. And that was after this dirt came out, so that's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And um, so it was during the day, you know, they played like, it was like light out, you know, which, and it was, I was like, oh, this is, this is, this is pretty cool, but like I wasn't really paying attention, but I kind of wish I had, you know. Yeah, that's unfortunate, man, yeah. you know, but hey, you know, shit happens. I never got to see him with Lane, so, you know, but I did, the new incarnation of the band I think is great. People should go see them. They're, I like the records and they're great live, you know? I just got to take a quick break one second. I'll be right back. Sure.
sorry about that. I just had to take a piss. Yeah, no problem, like man. Four cups of coffee right before this. So. I thought I thought your dealer was at the door. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's, you can, you're on to me. You know. <laughs> I knew this app would bring out the demons, dude. I knew it. So Cantrell wrote. Um, actually, Cantrell was a prime songwriter, and on this record, he wrote all the songs except for uh, Hate to Feel and Angry Chair, which uh, Lane Staley wrote. And that was the first time he had uh, like complete songwriting credits. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> it's a pretty impressive batch of songs to write, man. Oh, yeah. Like with that many singles, you know, it's like, it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, like, you know, the uh, some some of you probably know, like the some legend about recording this album too, man. Like the first day, loading day at the studio, was the day that the Rodney King verdict got announced. Yeah. And they were like, you know, like loading in the fucking studio, man. And the, as the story goes, you know, if it's true or not, who knows, like, you know, Cantrell ran out to like get some beer and like, I was at the package store, the liquor store, and then like shit just starts going haywire. You know, so they, they he hightailed it back to the studio and I, I guess they, uh, you know, decided like, we need to get the fuck out of here. So Tom Areo was with them apparently hanging out at the studio. So I guess they rented a couple cars and Tom Araya had a place out in the desert, out in Joshua Tree. So they all piled into a couple of cars, man, and they just went and hung out at Tom Araya's place out in the desert for like four or five days till like the stuff calmed down. And I guess they just did a bunch of mushrooms and peyote and all that, <laughs> all the good desert drugs, you know? And they just went back to LA and started making the record. But yeah, they were loading in as like the riots were starting to fucking go, go haywire. Uh, it's kind of pretty crazy. <laughs> That's fucked up, man. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, you know, one of the things about Alice in Chains too that, um, you know, they the image of the band they got this like you know heavy grunge kind of thing, you know, but they did not start out that way. You know, they they were very no. much like an '80s kind of metal band. You know. A little bit of glam, man. I mean, I think they were more, they were more like Mother Love Bone than they were Nirvana, you know? I, w I would say they were probably even more, in some ways, more on that cock rock tip than Mother Love Bone. Because, like, Mother Love Bone, yeah, they definitely had a glam thing going on, but they were, they were referencing, like, David Bowie and, you know, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, the, the dolls and shit like that. But, but, um, but these guys were, like, you know, hitting that, uh, you know, Motley Crue, L.A. Guns, you know, Guns N' Roses kind of vibe, I think, on, earlier on before they, you know, their sound changed or their whole approach to music changed. Well, I read an interview with, uh, with Jerry Cantrell, too, <clears throat> you know, before he left Seattle and went down to Texas uh, when he was a little bit younger before he started Alice in Chains with, with a friend of his from school to try to play music and start a band down there. And he, that's where he met the guys in Pantera, but that's when back when Pantera was, you know, pre Phil Anselmo, they were like a fucking glam metal band. Um, so I wonder if like that's where he got some of his influence when he went back to start Alice in Chains because he said he became good friends with those guys when he was living in Texas. You know, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of think like guitar players were like that back in the day, back in the eighties. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, I, I'm barely a guitarist. You know what I mean? And but if you're a guy who knows how to play guitar. You know, like really, and you could rip solos and shit like that. Then, like, at least, let's put it this way: all the guys I knew in the '80s that were real guitarists, 
wanted to play like in Motley Crue style bands, you know, or <laughs> oh, me too, man. Yeah, me you, too. Know, you know what I'm saying? Or there was like that one, like super dark guy that was into like thrash, you know? Right. And uh, yeah, or they wanted to be like a Van Halen sort of dude, you know? They were into that. They weren't really listening to like hardcore punk rock music, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah, but, some of those type of dudes too. But I'm gonna go on the record and say that, that that Pantera record, Power Metal, the one that the first Phil record, but they were still in that cock rock like genre, is yeah. a fucking good record, man. I never heard it. It's good. It's it's like um it. it's more like Judas Priest than like glam or like glam glam metal or whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but yeah, they they you know they did their new thing, which uh, which is like way cooler than that, and they ended up making this great record. And uh, quick aside about the guitar tone for you gearheads out there, <laughs> it's uh, the the really cool um, Jerry Cantrell guitar tone in the record was achieved by using a Bogner Fish preamp for the low end, a Bogner Ecstasy for the mid range. And the Rockman headphone amp for uh, for the high the high end, which uh, that's a pretty complicated um, you know comp if you ask me, man. All three of those things times two, you know, for yeah. stereo amp amp sound. Yeah, I would say. You, you ever <laughs> fuck around with those Rockman like uh, little Rockman rigs? You ever, you ever play around with one of those? I never have. I mean, I know what they are, but I've never personally fucked around with one. No. That's uh, that's Neil Schoen's, not not Neil Schoen's. Uh, that's Tom Schultz's uh, company, Rocktron. The guy really? from uh, yeah, the guy from Boston. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an electrical engineer who graduated from MIT, and yeah. concurrently to being a, a rock star, he had he founded this electronics company, and uh, the Rockman um, headphone amp was uh his first product that he went to market with and then he i have a bunch of his effects he has like you know rocktron they make like uh like a noise suppressor they got like delays and all this other stuff so do you use that stuff with your current setup on your pedal board um up until about seven years ago i used uh i used this um i still have it actually but i just haven't been using it is um i have a delay pedal he um he uh he designed Oh, no shit. Yeah, he has cool. he has a, a chorus pedal, but I'm, I'm like a, a a you know very um, loyal boss chorus guy. <laughs> so yeah, you do. I'm also a fan of the boss products. I get a lot of shit from it for people, but you know Why? I don't fucking care because everyone's in, you know everyone's like a boutique pedal guy now. I don't fucking care, dude. I, I I'm a fucking I have like a working man's rig, dude. You know I I, I don't know I don't. I just, I use what works. I'm not a complicated guy when it comes to effects pedals. I don't need every fucking cool boutique pedal out there. Well, you know, just, just not for nothing, the, uh, the boss noise suppressor is, um, that's, that's, everyone uses that. You know, any, any, I've seen that on, on rigs all the way down, you know, from, from guys like me, nobodies like me, to like, you know, <laughs> guys like, I don't know, like like legit, like pro dudes use that that noise suppressor that Boss makes, and that's probably the best one on the market, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big pedal guy. I only fucking own four or five pedals. Uh, four of them are boss pedals. So I just, you know, I don't know. You know, people would get obsessed with like boutique pedals. It's been like a thing for a few years, probably more than a few years now, but I just don't find the need for them. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Yeah. That's I, your I, thing? Fuck it. Good for you. Yeah. I, I don't have such an aggressive uh, stance on it, but uh, I like what works too. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be aggressive to any of you boutique panel guys out there, you know, good for you. But like people always got to be like, Oh, well, that's what you have. That's all you use for pedals. Like, yeah, it's all I use for pedals, man. I got a fucking job. I got to work. You know, I can't afford spending $300 on pedals each, each pedal. You know, I got to be, uh, I got to jam a Kano, like Mike Watt would say, you know, I don't, I don't really use that many pedals, you know, I mean, I just got a couple of delays you know, I got like that noise suppressor and like a, you know, that's about it, the chorus, you know. Yeah, I'm not good enough to use a lot of pedals. I don't know what to do with them. Yeah, you know, I, I got to worry about just playing, you know. I got to worry about that first. Yeah. <laughs> so what are some of your favorite tracks on this record? There's a bunch of them. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, well, I mean, I love the one-two punch, like I said, of them bones, Dan the River. If I had to pick a favorite track, it'd probably be Junkhead. Really? Hello? That's fucked up, man. You hung up on me like that? Yeah, I guess you didn't like my pick. You're like, fuck you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. I have to make you edit there. I, I don't got know. it. I have an edit. I don't. It's no problem, man. It takes like right. two seconds. Yeah. Uh, you want, want me to start back from the track list? Yeah, yeah. There? yeah. Do that. Uh, yeah, track list, man. I mean, like I said before, the one-two punch of them Bowens and Damn That River. It's fucking amazing. Uh, my favorite song on the record is probably Junkhead, but I mean, I can't argue with Wood either. Because that's the song that really made me a fucking Alice in Chains fan <laughs> and go buy this record. So, you know, I'll, I'll just stick with those four, although the whole record obviously is great. How about you? Well, I'm going to be a basic bitch and I'm going to pick uh, Wood because I know that's everyone's favorite song. But no, it's, it's undeniably fucking great, man. That song is so fucking great, man. The lyrics, like the, the, the bass intro. Just like the darkness of that whole song, man. It's like such a great track. And, uh, totally some, agree. Sometimes I'll just listen to that one song. Like, you know how, like, I like to listen to, like, entire records, but, like, every now and then I'm like, man, I really want to just listen to Wood. And, um, and I just put it on. Uh, so that's probably my number one. Uh, the Rooster is my, probably my second favorite on the record. Uh, just, just how, how heavy it is, like emotionally, it's just like, it's got such, um, such a dark vibe because of the subject matter of the song. Right. Yeah. I mean, dude, those are like, you know, uh, those are like two completely obvious choices, I guess most people would say, but I can't argue with you, man. Like, you know, I didn't pick Rooster, but I easily could. I love that song. That's like one of those songs, like with it still comes on like i know people are probably sick of that song i still love that song I, it's it's fucking great man you know it's just it's just undeniably great the uh the mma fighter uh or retired mma fighter tim kennedy 
who was in the UFC, that, that was his walkout song, and he's a veteran. Well, actually, he's not a veteran. He went back to active duty, apparently, after he retired from the UFC. Oh, no kidding. Wow. Yeah, yeah he's like uh, like a, some kind of like special forces like operative or something. But, uh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's like the dude walks out to that song, and the, knowing his background, it just adds this other like element of intensity to it, you know? Yeah, it's... Yeah, I could see that, man. That's a heavy thing. That uh, that Icons interview that I referenced earlier with Jerry Cantrell, he, he goes in, he talks about Rooster a bit. Like the He wrote it at Chris Cornell's house. He was like staying in some like little guest room. He talks about writing that song and like, you know, lyrically writing it about his father, trying to repair their relationship. Cause, you know, the damage that, as he says, the damage that Vietnam did to his father caused them to be very distant with each other for years. Um, but they also play a snippet of a demo version of Rooster. Oh, man. Which, I don't know if this is available, dude. Maybe they put out that box set years ago called the Music Bank. Yes. Maybe it's on there, but they play like a 30-second clip of it, dude, and it sounds incredible. Like, I've got to hunt down like the full version of that demo. Um, definitely cool, though. Man, that, that's... That's a great song. What What does that collection have on it? Like, uh, you know, like what? What is it? Like, just the the Lane Staley records? No, no. There's a lot. I bought it. I don't own it, but I bought it for a friend years ago as a gift. And then actually, a couple of years ago, I was like, you know what, man? I need to fucking buy that for myself. And it's out of print. Oh man. And it's not on, as far as I know, it's not on streaming services. I mean, I'm an Apple Music user, so it's not on there. I don't know if it's on Spotify or anything. Um, but there was a lot of, I remember there being a lot of, like, you know, there was a lot of common stuff on there, too. It wasn't, like, the full albums, but there were, like, demos and shit on there and live stuff. Um, I, I don't know, but I need to find that ver <laughs> that version of uh, that Rooster demo, man. The, the few seconds they played of it was incredible. I, I gotta say that that's a you're a pretty good friend, man. You know, doing that. You know, it's like you're like this thing's so sick and it's awesome, but I want you to have it. Well, yeah, my it's like my friend's favorite, probably his favorite band, and uh, you know, I did steal it. I shoplifted it, so it didn't cost me anything. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm, proud, I'm proud of you, man. I'm proud to hear that. Okay, I'm, I'm kidding. Another another uh, song that I would say. One more track that I'm gonna draw attention to you is uh, "Down in a Hole." Man, that song is like, <sighs> yeah, it's good, great, great, great song. <laughs> yeah. I love the version say, on this. This is record. a hard record to pick. Yeah, uh, I, sorry, I, go ahead. I love the version on this record, but I actually really dig the um, the un MTV unplugged version of it, where a lot of these songs actually even even wood. There's like an acoustic or unplugged version of the song. That is an absolute fantastic album too man and easily the best mtv unplugged of all the ones i see in that alice and chains and also if i'm not wrong that was wayne staley's last live performance before he passed away exactly and that i was just gonna say that um if you watch the video of that the dude looks like he's on death's door man it's sad you know, you can feel it, dude, by watching that, like even at the time when I didn't really know what was going on, I remember watching that and I remember feeling like something isn't right here, <laughs> you know, like I guess they hadn't played a show in a long time. And, you know, that was, I think 
once again, I've been doing a lot of reading with especially uh, Jerry Cantrell interviews, and it kind of alludes to like everyone in the band knowing that was the last time they were going to perform. You know, oh, that's, that's um, brutal. Yeah, yeah. So you can, but that's again that 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 set that live uh, MTV unplugged is very very heavy and. Uh, yeah, that's another great, great album. And by the way, I'm looking on Discogs at the Music Bank box set, and Rooster 1991 demo is on this thing, well, along with a lot of other demos and unreleased tracks. And too bad I can't find this box set anywhere. But uh, I love stuff like that. I love listening to demos. That's like one of my favorite things to hear the demo versions of some some of the songs. Me too. I've been on a huge Motorhead kick lately, and they're releasing all these anniversary editions of their classic, you know, the first five albums. And there's tons and tons of awesome, like, demos, and it's it's really great. I love stuff like that, too. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the lyrics are different, and, you know, little different bridges and things. Yeah, yeah, totally. I love that kind of stuff. Hey, maybe my, you know, I'm still friends with the guy I bought this box set for. Maybe he'll let me borrow it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, just, just keep it, you know? <laughs> there were uh, yeah. there were there were some accolades for this record too. Um it was uh nominated a Grammy Best Hard Rock Performance, uh MTV Video Music Award for Best Video from a film for the Wood video, the nineteen ninety two uh singles, you know, movie which we referenced earlier, which was uh Cameron Crow uh made that. And uh, the Rolling Stone uh, Greatest Metal Albums, it's uh, number 26 on that 100 Greatest Metal Albums. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no shortage of awards handed out uh, for this record. Well-deserved, too, obviously. Um, yeah, so that's... Uh, I'm trying to think there's... Oh, yeah, okay. We got some... Uh, just some sales information too. We got it peaked at number six on the Billboard 200. It was certified four times platinum, and it sold five million copies worldwide. It was, like I mentioned earlier, their biggest selling record. Yeah, I don't know if people. Uh, I mean, I know people buy uh, probably more vinyl now than any other physical format, but this will be one of those records I think that'll probably sell forever. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's like Zeppelin Four or something like that. You know, it's just like people are always going to buy it. Yeah, I mean, it's got, you know, Rooster, Wood. That alone, people are going to buy the record, you know. Um, and, and they should. It's fucking good. Yeah, it's like Zeppelin. You're right. It's like what, Zeppelin Four. I always say that that Seattle movement was probably the last great mainstream rock and roll movement we'll ever see. Um, so a lot of these records are going to end up being like classics, like Zeppelin, Sabbath, stuff like that. You know, it's pro probably the last of them. Well, you, you can already see that um, Alice in Chains, uh, Guns N' Roses, and you know Soundgarden are played alongside alongside the uh, like classic rock stuff these days. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, that's just a sign that we're getting old, Mike. Well, I mean, I don't really think any. You know, I think Gene Simmons said that rock's, rock and roll's dead, which I kind of I kind of agree with him, actually. You know, it's like... Uh, I feel not, like it's been dead <laughs> for a long yeah, time. Yeah, that's what I mean. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying that rock music is dead, but like as far as it being a major player like it was in the 70s, it's just not happening anymore like that. I totally agree, man. So I think the Seattle scene was the last mainstream, like viable rock music that we'll see in our lifetimes 
You know, I just don't see another movement like that where it dominates the FM airwaves or uh, whatever. I, I don't see that now, man. Like, I just don't see rock music doing that anymore. And, uh, I mean, honestly, I don't even think anyone listens to the radio anymore, really. But it's like the, uh, you know, things are so fractured as far as, like, everything. There's all these, like, very specific, like, niche, like, genres of music that, that kids are into, you know. And it's like, and it's singles. Like, I know, like, True. like a lot of people are just like, oh, I like this song, you know what I mean? Or there's, like, uh, you know, some dude that's got, like, a YouTube channel or something like that. And that's, like, how right. they experience. That's literally how it's done these days, you know? It's, it's pretty, uh, it's very, way different than back then. Yeah, yeah. I'm not so into that idea of things, but, hey, you know, it's okay. People are going to do what they want to do. You know? Yeah. What were you going to say? Go ahead, sorry. No, that's all right. I was just, all I was going to say was that I, I got to say, I really miss that era of MTV and, and spending some time with this record made me get really nostalgic about like, you know, that period of time. And, and I wasn't even, I, don't, I didn't even have a TV man and all throughout the nineties, you know, and, and, but I do remember like being at, you know, I'd be at someone's house or whatever, or some girl I was dating and she'd have like, MTV and they'd have MTV unplugged and I'd watch some of these uh, shows and they're all pretty cool. You know, they I, I enjoyed a lot of this stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, Headbangers Ball at that time was cool. Even 120 Minutes, I mean, I liked a lot of stuff they played on there, you know, like shows like that. I mean, yeah, that stuff just doesn't exist anymore, man. It was, a, it was a, you know, the 90s wasn't the best times ever, but, you know, there was still some cool shit happening, yeah. for sure. Um. And I was just going to say real quick, man, I mean, I know we're talking about Dirt and the early incarnation Alice in Chains, but people shouldn't disregard the new version of Alice in Chains either, man. Like, all three of those records they put out are quality records. Uh, they're great lives. And, you know, I mean, the guy died of a heroin overdose, man. Like, I'm sure no one would want him back more than those guys in that band, but you got to understand, man, that's their life's work. You know, they have every every right to go out and play and make records. And, you know, I think it's cool that they're doing it, man. We got to see them over at Hellfest tomorrow over there. Yeah, that was great. Was you cool. know, Real yeah, cool. it's like, you know, so, uh, you know, people talk a lot of shit about these guys making new records and stuff. And, I, you know, whatever. <laughs> I just want to throw it out there, man. I, th I think you know, record, the new records are cool. I think the last record, Rainier Fog, was awesome. And uh, people should give them a chance, you know. Well, there you go, man. That's uh, Alice in Chains' Dirt. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, an official Gimme Metal podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. This show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Metal, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.